Sign up today for the Film Comment Letter. It's a free weekly digital newsletter featuring original film criticism and writing by Film Comment's editors and brilliant contributors. The letter delivers exclusive features, reviews, interviews, streaming picks, news, and more directly to subscribers' inboxes every Thursday before they're published on filmcomment.com the following Monday. Sign up today at filmcomment.com. Welcome to the Film Comment Podcast. I'm Devika Girish, and I'm the co-deputy editor of Film Comment. One of my favorite films of 2023 is a debut feature that I saw back in February at this year's Berlinale. It's called Orlando, My Political Biography by Paul B. Preciado. Some of you may know Preciado as an acclaimed philosopher and author of groundbreaking texts about gender and sexuality. His 2008 book, Testo Junkie, is particularly famous for how it melds autobiography and theory. Preciado weaves reflections on his own experience of taking testosterone with ruminations on how the body and its desires are formulated, controlled, and regulated by society. Preciado's first feature is as much of an exuberant formal invention as that book was. He was invited to make a film about his life, and instead he gathered a diverse ensemble of trans individuals to interpret their lives through the text of Virginia Woolf's 1928 novel, Orlando, A Biography, which is about the centuries-spanning experience of an aristocrat who magically changes gender in their sleep overnight. In blurring the boundaries between self and other, documentary and fiction, fantasy and reality, past and present, Preciado crafts a work that explores binaries not only in content, but also in form. On today's episode, I was glad to be joined by Preciado for a conversation about the making of the film, why he wanted to make a collective portrait rather than a biopic, and about the violence that cinema has inflicted on trans and queer people across history, and how we can use images to pave the path for a new future. I hope you enjoy the conversation. First of all, Paul, congratulations on the really incredible sort of uh, journey the film has had since I saw it at the Berlinale. Just, it was a beautiful surprise for me as someone who... Uh, read your work as a philosopher and really admired it and sort of didn't really know what to expect from a film made by you that too with that particular title um and and it was just uh sort of you know i i don't see many very many philosophers turned filmmakers who pull it <laughs> off successfully right so. right right thank you so much it was also a surprise for me i honestly didn't think that i that I put a, I mean, I don't consider myself a filmmaker, you know, it's just like, that might be like too much of a word, but uh, um, yeah, I made a film and I didn't think before that I would make a film one day. It's not something that I had a dream about before or that I thought, you know, I, I never thought that I would make a film. Um, but now it seems to me that um, maybe it's interesting, you know, now that I've been following how the film has been, uh, welcomed by the audiences and what has generated as a debate among people it seems to me that it's a really interesting way as well as well to um, to continue what I do as a philosopher but in a more collective way 
because mm. it's something that I that I it was I was missing for a while. You know, I had been in activism really since I was like probably like uh, 15 years old or something mm-hmm. like that, almost like all my life. And then at a certain point, well, I stopped doing activism. I mean, activism in the traditional way, like meeting people and so on, because I had too much work with uh, with my books and so on. But I think that the the film was an interesting way for me to come back to activism and mm. to kind of um, to be involved in a, in a project where it's not just like a, as a philosophy project where basically it's just your own ideas, but in this case, of course, you bring the form and and you you give the context in which other people will be able to express themselves. But it was kind of crucial for me to also like be able to um, to gather this heterogeneity that you see in the film. Not everyone um, has has followed my my own you know path both philosophically but also in terms of my own political path. Nevertheless, I think that uh, all of us that were part of the film, we feel also that we belong to a larger genealogy of uh, a struggle and resistance and survival of trans and non-binary people. And at the mm. end, you know, no matter how how much we we do it in different ways, so that was super important for me as well. Yeah. Well, um, I do want to get into this idea of the collective biography, kind of, or the collective autobiography. I think um, the lines are a bit blurry, as always, uh, with the form of your works. But, you know, I know that you were actually approached by Arte uh, because they wanted to make a biopic of you of yours. And you you didn't want that, and you kind of chose this this kind of film instead, this project instead. Can you tell me a little bit about, um, you know, what that uh, conversation was like? You know, what was the proposal sort of presented to you, and well, what didn't work for you? Well, actually, it, to be fair, because basically lately I've been speaking with the people from Arte again and they said like well it's not exciting that we had like a project that it was like finalized before we talk to you and it's true I mean they came to me with a very kind of open idea uh they had read my books they were interested in maybe working doing a film around my books but I think that at the beginning it was quite clear for them that I will be the object of the film but absolutely not the filmmaker. You know what I mean? I mean, and that's also what I thought myself, that I will not be the filmmaker. Nevertheless, uh, the more we discuss about the possibilities of making that film, it became clear to me that um, there are like so many conventional ways, like unquestioned ways of um, narrating what does it mean to be trans? What is a trans or non-binary life? that um, the more I would uh, speak with them, the more I realized that it would be very difficult for for a binary director to approach uh, my own idea, not just of my own, I mean, my biography, when I when I speak about a bio, bi, a biopic or, bi, or biography, of course, I'm not thinking about like, a, you know, my adventures because I have none, but really my work as a philosopher, right? But still, I mean that that work for me, even even in the in the very, I mean, in the empirical sense of how my books have been done, and how I've been building my research and so on, I feel that is a, a really like a collective adventure. You know that basically, even when you write, you have like a you have tons. I mean, this is the case now. I have like now, for instance, this is like 
Baldwin on my on my table and Jan Genet, you know. So basically, I have like I am already in dialogue with with two people that are here, like also having a conversation with me or through me, right? So I think that that's already like an ongoing collective conversation. Which Genet uh, book are you reading, out of curiosity? Oh, I'm reading *L'Enemy Le, Déclaré*, which is the the collections of essays uh, that he wrote between 1970 and 1983. And those are like, is it the moment in which basically he stopped like writing fiction and he decided to be more involved in politics as well? Uh, you know, so I think that for these times that we're living today. Yes. Uh, I know a lot of people have been turning to Genet and Baldwin. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Both of them are, are kind of crucial to me. And like, and at this point are very good friends, you know, and that does something that... Um, in a guess that I, in in a sense, I guess that was that's exactly what happened to me with Virginia Woolf. Then, when I had to think like how could I best uh, narrate the story of my life, or even approach my own work, or how people, you know, how most people like would imagine what it is to be trans to the or non-binary. What I thought is like, well, I mean, this is amazing, but I mean, Virginia Woolf had already done it, right? And so it seemed to me that almost like entering into this conversation with Virginia Woolf by together with 25 people uh, and and going into also, I mean, I think that that's the beauty of, uh, of cinema. Now I understand it better because mm. I have done this film, which is basically like, a, you know, like almost like constructing this collective dream in a sense, right? Like that also that a lot of people can share when you when you come to, I mean, that's exactly what what happens when you come to a, a cinema, uh, you know, theater, whatever, and you see a film together. Then in a sense, mm -hmm. like dreaming, dreaming for one hour and a half or two hours, like the same dream somehow, mm -hmm. right? So um, I, I think that that's, uh, that's really strong and, and, and beautiful. And and at the end, I think that when I started making the film, even though I had no idea how the film would be, you know, I I started like having a lot of doubts. I mean, can I can I make this film? Mm -hmm. I had never made a film before. But then, I think I think that what became really important to me was like almost the in terms of the form and the tone of the film to to get on on the on the tone of utopia, right? In, instead of being on the tone of um, basically like a, almost like almost fitting within the the narrative that is already given to us and when i say to us i mean like the subaltern uh people of this world right like basically we when you do not belong to to the the normative hegemonic subjectivity so therefore like you are like either trans or like a sexual minority or a racial minority or you're a migrant then and the question is like, you know, how can you start uh, speaking from which point, right? And I guess that that is the moment in which basically uh, Virginia Woolf became really useful, you know, for for us to be able to to use this poetic language of Virginia Woolf to almost oppose the the traditional ways of narrating a trans and non-binary life, which is which are like coming from, of course, like from uh, pathological discourses of our psychoanalysis or uh, psychiatric discourses or even the legal and medical discourses, right? So it was like really interesting to kind of uh, uh, create like a safe space with this, using the book of Virginia Woolf as this kind of a poetic space. And then I guess that the, the film 
kind of grow out of these conversations with the different people that participated in the in the film uh, and Virginia Woolf. That is the interesting thing, like how do you bring into the conversation someone that is not there anymore? You gave a beautiful lecture at the New York Film Festival, the this year's Amos Vogel lecture. And something you said that you really came to cinema as a dissident at first, you know, you you were not you did not want to engage with the regime of the image in a sense because it had been so violent to all sorts of, I think, um, minority individuals, but especially to trans and queer people. Can you talk about why that was, you know, why you felt that way? And then what maybe convinced you that there was a way in which you could harness cinema to your, you know, your own sort of um, imaginary? Yeah. No, it is true. I mean, it's like, um, you know, maybe for most people, this is not something that they think about, you know, and they they don't really realize. But I guess that as a historian, even though I'm, I'm a philosopher, but almost as a historian of sexuality, uh, it is true that I, I've been confronted with the way in which sexuality and normative and so-called pathology of pathological sexualities and your gender positions have been constructed through the image, starting with the at the end of the 19th century with photography and then continuing into cinema. And we tend to see and to think that basically like the, the regimes of the image that prevail within scientific and medical discourses and those that are used by cinema are very mm. Right, but in reality they are not, and especially when we speak about the way in which the the binary differences, the differences between what is supposed to be a woman and what's supposed to be a man, have been constructed through the through the twentieth century. I think that none, no other discourse has has been more um, intense, prevailing, and extended than that of cinema, say popular cinema as a kind of hegemonic discourse, but also cultural industry as such, right? So I guess that when I when I was like talking about my resistance to cinema and the way I kind of positioned myself at the beginning as a kind of a dissident to that visual regime, I was speaking about that. I was mm. speaking about, let's say, mostly like normative conventional narratives within dominant cinema, which doesn't mean uh, that there have been like so many other already like critical underground discourses within cinema, of course, especially we speak about like uh, documentary or essay, documentary essay, which would be like a little bit what my, what my film mm. is situated, right? But um, but it's true that I I mean, and this is like a, for me, I I realized like when I was about to make the film that I had this um, this almost traumatic relationship to to history of cinema, which I think it, I mean it's not just me. I think that many of a of of trans and non-binary people, but also uh, racialized fellows. I mean, they might have this relationship to cinema. Of course, I mean, I can say that I that there are films that I love, whatever, you know, I've been like, I, I have been very influenced, for instance, by 
but especially by Italian cinema, like uh, uh, Antonioni, Bartolucci, I mean, the Sica, there are many, many, uh, especially that, that Italian tradition that I kind of love for a while. But at the same time, those narratives and the ways of representing femininity and masculinity had been violent uh, in relation to the way I was trying to, to live my life in a sense, right? Maybe that explains why why I didn't want to make films at the beginning, even though like I had had in different times of my life, like I've been in touch with artists that have been working on my text to make films, for instance. And I've been always like a little bit like, oh, no, 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 not cinema, right? Uh, but of course, I mean, at, at the same time that I'm saying this, I also, I can also say that when I started to make my own film, I I kind of look back into my my own cinema library, you know, and I realized that I also had like many films that had been not just influential, but that kind of had been crucial um, to the way in which I, I kind of uh, managed to survive myself as a subject, right? So, but those are coming mostly from, let's say, the underground queer traditions. And I would say they're coming from, especially like from the... Um, let's say from the late 50s you know on and i would i see myself that history of cinema as a kind of a struggle between the the mainstream cinema and the 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 small uh critical you know counter, counter. yes exactly yeah. that, that you see um and that at, at the end i guess that, that those are the ones that that I have mobilized or, or you know, kind of go, went back to when I be, when I done my own film. Mm. You know, I've been like, let's say, the early Almodovar, the films, even for instance, and also, I mean, this is a troubled tradition, you know, because for instance, I realized how important it was for me, like the films, for instance, of Godard, that had answered almost like every kind of formal question that I was asking myself, right? Nevertheless. He has done it like in such a patriarchal, um, you know, male way. Right. Ever question, questioning, like, you know, I mean, he has questioned almost like every, every form and every narrative statement in cinema, but he never questioned the female and the male position that are so crucial. Yeah. Right? You know, yeah. I was, I mean, I was watching here and elsewhere yesterday. Um, yeah. You know, and and you know he's questioning in that the use of the word and him and uh, Anne Marie Mieville are questioning the use of the word yes. and, yes. and there is a moment where they're thinking of all these sort of binaries and they say man and woman and uh -huh. or woman, and yeah. I was just thinking almost that it's almost like you took that and you ran with it, you know, like you took that <laughs> one. Because that film yeah. is questioning binaries in certain True. ways too, Absolutely. but it just it doesn't really delve into the gender or sexual binary because it's it's focuses elsewhere. But yeah, 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 absolutely. This is happening to me always with Godard when I'm seeing the film. Sometimes I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, he's able to do it. He's able to do it, and then yeah. right, <laughs> yes. But I mean, I guess that um, I mean, it's not just. I mean, I guess that Godard has been influential in, in the in the sense of basically like that essay documentary tradition that was there and that is very formal and so on, right? But there are so many other films that 
do have not been even like and have never entered the, in the canon i would say of, of right. cinematic history in a sense and that are even more important to me you know that in a sense that have been done by the the underground uh, what are uh, some some of those really influential ones for you one or two well i guess that for instance like um i don't know if this is a film that you know but for instance uh, Dandy Dust by Hans Rail. I don't know if this is a film that you that you know, but probably not. This is like a kind of punk, uh, cyberpunk, queer film from the from the 90s that is made almost with nothing. It's hyper experimental, uh, but it, I guess it was crucial for me when I I started to make my own film, also because of the let's say DIY dimension and basically not not to be scared of a of um, making the wrong move or, or, you know, making something that will be ridiculous because what is ridiculous sometimes it is considered that way because it's outside of the, of the canon, the canon or outside of the right. normative vision, right? Or Born in Flames, for instance, that's, that's such a, I mean, that's more classical. People know it more, but it still is like a, it remains pretty underground, right? So yeah. those, those films for me are like so, so crucial. Of the very early Almodovar that most people have not seen, Almodovar became quite well known basically in the second phase. But when he was like basically like you know playing music with a, a punk band, then making like a ridiculous films, what they we used to call at that time like ridiculous films. But mm-hmm. that for me, I like a, a completely like a, a steaming out of this mm-hmm. um, very critical. Um, look at traditional cinema as well. So, um, you know, one theme that I sensed throughout the film is this focus on the word, whether as literature, whether as poetry, as something that can be really liberatory. So, of course, even the fact that Orlando was written all those years ago, and, you know, for you, it's sort of like your biography in a way. But there's also, you know, this kind of um, reference to poetry as really the most revolutionary metamorphosis and there's also a great scene in a psychiatrist's office when a young trans person says you know that they suffer from maldu literature uh this kind of (laughs) you know a a literary malady that makes them question their gender yeah and then i was thinking about how you've talked about cinema in this uh, the history of cinema as almost the opposite like of shutting down uh the ability to think uh, in these, you know, possibly diseased, but really liberatory ways. Sorry, I'm making a kind of convoluted connection yeah, here. Interesting. Then I also thought about another uh, thing you had mentioned in your lecture at NYFF, which was about Magnus Hirschfeld and his institute in Germany, uh, Institute for Sexual Difference, is that what it was called? or Sexual Research. Oh, sorry, Institute for Sexual Research. And he had this wall of photographs that yes. were to to demonstrate that sexuality was a continuum and not a binary. And I guess it just started me thinking about these two mediums. Uh, you know, one is the visual medium, you know, which is very much based on what you can tell, um, you know, on a on a on the speculative level. What and the other is the medium of words, which really disengages your understanding of a person from how they look, wh- how far your gaze can go, and how yes. do you kind of conceive of these two? And just this idea of images being used to de- demonstrate a continuum, but images are so to me 
you know, they're so closed down in a way. Yeah. No, it's very interesting because in a sense, there are really like two regimes, you know, that are not like a, you cannot really equate them uh, and they don't work together. And I think that the, in a sense, one of the things that I, that I learned from making this film that I didn't know before, I mean, I, I knew it more or less like through the, theory, you know, mm. but then when you, you really practice it, it's very different when you when you start like start like uh, editing the film right like first I, of course like it's like a this is like a it's a temporal linear you know film so you know it, it doesn't matter if it's digital but it still is you know that's what it is you have yeah. like time, time extended right and time you, is the medium yeah absolutely absolutely yeah. and then you you can you can cut it in different ways okay that's fine and you can already like play on that and uh, and in a sense, and that's a different conversation, but in a sense that that technology of montage, of editing, already resembles a lot of, uh, of um, how we think about gender traditionally mm. and how we think about the gender body, meaning that is, you know, that some some organs should go together and that if you put them like a series of organs together, then you, you kind of create a coherent masculinity or a coherent mm. femininity right and if you disassemble these organs then you have something that is pathological right so it's very interesting what how how you how to use uh, editing as a tool mm. uh, you know what has to be assembled and has to what has to be or can be disassembled but then you have an, another line which is completely completely different and that you can play with or against it which is uh language that's a that's a choice you can also like not use it if you want right or you can use it like well we were talking about about godard before about uh, chris marker you know that you can use it in, in so many many different ways even playing because uh, in a sense uh the written word is an image right i mean i that's we're going like now i have the same semiotics like Yes, exactly. And that we're like escaping into another world. But I think it's quite interesting because people don't think that when you when you're when they are reading, in a sense, what they are watching is images, right? Mm -hmm. And you don't you don't see words, you see images, right? But then I I guess that when especially I guess when you're working with um uh with bodies that have been located at the position of a subalternity at the position of a minority historically, and, and therefore they have been objectivized through the image, then language becomes very important because language becomes like a way of, of creating attention, of creating, you know, of kind of con trying to opening up that uh, representation mm. that has been constrained through history and in a sense like de deconstruct that that representation through the language as well right mm. sometimes that's what what you see in the film when you see for instance uh the the voice of the orlandos they are speaking and saying something that has is coming from virginia wolf but not totally from virginia wolf because they are also like introducing their own voices and then you have my own voice as well that is a little bit different mm. than that of virginia wolf or that of the orlandos right so you have that all these tensions that in a sense they are also questioning uh, your own way of decodifying this image because immediately I mean this is I guess that that's what is so important to me you know and that I've been 
I, I was this. I was uh, obsessed with that when I was uh, I was shooting the film because everyone would ask all the time at the beginning. They would ask like, "But is this a man or a woman? Is this a girl or a boy?" All the time, mm -hmm. right? And that's exactly how the image works. In trained historically to basically like to use the image uh, as a kind of a proof, right? As a testimony of a right. proof of the of the uh, the truth of the sex or the gender of the person right it's an, it's an epistemology i mean images are just yeah Absolutely. that's yeah. exactly what it, what it is right so the 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 difficulty when you're making a film is how to to use this medium how to use the image how to use film and still question that regime of the image that that you're trying that you're using because there, there is no other way of using but yeah. by using it, right so that that is the tension yeah. and i guess that, that it cannot be i mean if you if you fully uh if you undo this regime of the image fully then you become i mean you find yourself with something that is completely experimental and then cannot be read in in narrative terms right but i guess that what is interesting sometimes uh, is is to be able to recognize the way you're constructed that regime at the same time that you're watching the film. You know, I, I guess I was just so fascinated by how you in the film are evading what I consider the trap of identification in a certain way. Because the visual regime, cinema, places so much emphasis on identification, also in political terms. This idea that if you see someone like you on screen you you are seen in a way and you are valued yes. and what you are trying to do is showing us an array of people and not saying like look this is someone like you but look this is difference in and yeah. of itself not like this is a different person like you know someone else you know or yourself but this kind of there's this tension of like none of these are representative of anyone else but representative of the ability to live outside of the binary itself which is what i i just you know because i think why are there so many biopics of you know trans people it's it's this idea that one person can represent so many different experiences and then you know someone you can look at that person and like identify with them Absolutely. But you're really working against that idea of identification that it's like a kind of it's a very binary way of thinking. Yes. Yeah. Thank you so much, because I'm I'm so glad that you saw that, you know, because that's exactly what I was trying to struggle against. And it's not it's not something that it can be done once and for all. You know, it's something that that has to be tried many, many, many times. And that's exactly why, for instance, I didn't want to. Um, when doing the casting or when working to find the the 25 Orlandos that uh, that are in the film with me, um, I didn't want to I didn't want to cast them because they were this particular way of being trans, which is like either they have already changed the name or either they have like new papers or either they are using hormones. I mean, what I was interested in was many the many different. Uh, ways in which the normative regime can be called into question right right and all and trying to precisely to be um to be more attentive to pay attention to mutation instead instead of to identity 
I mean, I'm not trying to say because some people are asking me sometimes, it's like, oh, is, this means that we are all of us Orlandos, right? And it's, well, not exactly all of us because we are not all in the same political position. Right. Being Orlando in this society is very specific, you know? It's basically yeah. like when you have made that decision of like uh, leaving behind the, the gender that I was assigned to you and that you're moving in a different direction, whatever that direct direction might be, that can put you in a position of uh, of political disempowerment, of like dispossession, of danger for your life. So it's a, a specific political position and not everyone is in that position. But eventually, eventually, and I maybe that I wanted my film also to be a little bit like a, of a advertisement for for queer and, and trans futures, you know, because I, I'm trying to say, I mean, against everything that everyone would say to you is like, oh my God, trans, being trans is so difficult, it's so strange, it's so whatever. I'm saying like, for me, it's the best thing that happened to me in my mm. life. So, you know, that, that you know, it's like, it's the revolution in you, is that the possibility of, a, of mutating, the, the possibility of not conforming to the norm. And that is the best thing that can happen to any of us. So especially when it's a collective experience, because that's yeah. thing that the and that's what I wanted to grasp in the film as well is is that that medicine and, and psychiatric discourse are trying to represent this experience of transitioning as something that is individual is happening to you. It's a psychic condition; it can be treated through hormones or whatever. Da 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 da. And what I'm trying to say is that now we live in a society that is binary, and the experience of uh, living beyond this regime. Is, is really difficult unless unless you recognize that there are others that are making this experience and that you can, you know, that you can gain kind of political force through that collective experience. And then it becomes like something that is, for me, it is 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 not just a political experience. It's also a poetic experience, right? It's something, it's, it's instead of being defined by the norm, inventing another way of, of living, right? And, and mm. a relating to your own body of relating to the to to the others socially so i think it's a, a fascinating experience that i invite anyone to to you know be part of if, yeah <laughs> if uh, speaking of trans futures i did you know some of the loveliest scenes in the film are toward the end with all the kids you know who come up as orlando's and i think that will be very touching and moving to so many people because such a, a moral panic around, you know, trans um, individuals and trans futures is centered on kids, you know, this idea that kids are too young to understand that we live in a non-binary world and that that's somehow a dangerous uh, realization to have. I, I'm actually curious about the practical aspects of casting those kids. Um, you know, was that kind of complicated in any way, the conversations with their guardians or parents, or was it self-selecting? I knew already some of the kids that participate in the film because they, the kids and the families have been in touch with me for, for a while. Like for the last 10 years, I've been having like different, different associations and families, especially, and sometimes kids or teenagers mm -hmm. that are in, uh, in touch with me. 
that basically you know families that are like harassed at the school that they you know they basically like almost they feel like uh, constrained by medical discourse by so many other things and at a certain point they find for instance my books or whatever they say they call me and they say well I think I have a, a kid at home that speaks exactly like you you know and it's it's very funny and it's true that a uh, that for basically maybe for 15 20 years in my life i i felt like uh, i was no i'm not going to say alone but i was like you know what is, I, I don't see who could be part of this community that i had in my mind and then suddenly the kids arrive you know and and it was fantastic because basically i mean they they have become really like my my political community and i think that what is happening with the kids even though i didn't want the kids to be I didn't want the kids to be the, the object of my film. I didn't want, you know, I, I um, precisely because they are too young and they, they need to make decisions that can be uh, very influential for their lives later. And I didn't want to put the, that pressure on, on them, but I wanted them to be part of the process of making the film. And I had many discussions with them. And I, I have to say that the first one that that really understood my film before anyone else were the kids. The kids were like, mm. oh, yes, this is great. Let's, we are absolutely Orlando. We want to play with everything. You know, it was amazing. Um, Dissecting a book must be something just part of totally. their play. I mean, like, totally. right. Yeah. I mean, many of the things that happen in the book, I mean, in the film, they were like, totally like, this is so much fun. Let's do it. Whereas basically for the grown-up people I had to explain it's like why are we going to do this this is so strange da, 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 da. right so the kids I mean that childhood dimension of the of the film was crucial for me but I think that what is happening now and what the uh what I wanted also to be part of my film is that the the kids are becoming political subjects when are we going to realize that children are political subjects and until, not just objects absolutely you know yeah. until when it's like until now they are just like the object of education the object of the family uh repetitive norm the object of sexual abuse the object of uh, violence the you know and but i think it's now is the moment in which basically children are becoming political subjects mm. not just because you know greta Thunberg like started to be like a active like so young and 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 see they have been this disrespected because of that mm. like, oh, i mean i think because the future has become politically embattled in a way too right like the future has become yeah. something we have to politically fight for absolutely. in a very real way now absolutely you know so and i think that in in that future if, if this is possible and i'm still I still I try to remain optimistic in you know in the middle of the, of the the chaos that we're living through, but um, it, it partly is truly if we allow the children to play the role that they should you know instead of just like considering considering that they are just like a objects of a cultural reproduction reproduction. Yeah. I do want to ask about the Pharmaco Liberation song that appears in the middle of the film in a psychiatrist's office. My absolutely my favorite part of the film, for many reasons, it's so unexpected. It's so goofy, but the lyrics, um, you know, feel really profound. How did that come about? And when are you releasing it as a single? Uh, this is a <laughs> good question. Good question. Well, it came about, I guess, like as, as all the other scenes in the film. I really wanted to have to have a party scene at the psychiatric 
you know, cabinet or the, you know, the waiting, uh, the waiting room of his rink. I really wanted that because that was, in a sense, like every scene of the film has been thought as a kind of a, a political ritual of mm. recovery and care for all of us collectively. And I wanted us to to be able to get into that room differently after like shooting the scene. We thought about having this, this moment of party and then I thought, well, the best, I mean, I, I of course, like that moment in which basically we're exchanging hormones and learning from each other and so on. I thought, well, I would love to write a song, you know, then so I, I call like a, a couple of musicians, one of them is Clara Day, who has finally made like the totality of the music of the film, and the other one is Parrots. And I said to them, I want a disco kind of techno disco song. And they were like, but what are the what are the lyrics? And I'm like, well, I'm sending the lyrics. They were like, this is hilarious. And and they come up with the with the music, which was amazing. And then uh Janice, who is one of the Orlandos, is a singer. Uh, and we recorded this on, we had like such a good time. And now we are like, I think we're very close to release it. I mean, we've been we've been having trouble precisely because none of us uh, is basically an editor of music, of music. You know, if we don't have a, a publishing company outside of the film, that it will be out in the next three weeks. So oh, actually, <laughs> yes. exciting! Right in time yes. for New Year's for New Year's Eve. That would be uh, great for the yeah. exactly for the the New Year's Eve party is the would be the best thing for all of us to enjoy. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Well, I just that song has been stuck in my head since I saw saw the film and I heard it, and I think it just captures the just the uh, personality of your film so well, you know, which is jubilant, but also serious, uh, which is, you know, silly, but yeah, but also profound. joyful philosophy. (laughs) Anyway, on that note, I think we'll wrap this up, but thank you so much, Paul, for making time. Thank you for your questions. Thank you so much. The Film Comment podcast features original music by Greg Einge. Film Comment is a publication of Film at Lincoln Center. Since 1962, Film Comment has been the home of independent film journalism, publishing in-depth interviews, critical analysis, and feature coverage of mainstream, art house, and avant-garde filmmaking from around the world. Visit us online at filmcomment.com.